Tonight on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, we talk about alternate universes and how they factor into the future of the MCU, as well as all the properties coming to Disney and how they all will relate and all of that and how it relates to the feedback you guys have been sending in. All that right after this. Today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MCUcast80 and enter promo code MCUcast80. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll. And I'm Jeff Randall. Second week in New York! (laughs) All right. Well, that's right. Second week in New York. We mentioned it on the last two episodes, but just to go into detail, because more people listen to these non-content episodes. So we are going to be in New York this week. Jeff is there. I'm coming. I'm going to be there on Wednesday. Actually, on Tuesday. But on Wednesday, we're going to do a podcast meetup. So if any of you guys want to hang out in New York... Um, come, we're going to go to come not to quest, which is an escape room on Wednesday night. Um, we're still working on the, um, sort of the, the exact details, but they have the top rated escape game in the nation. And so we are going to go do that, which we're big escape room fans. I don't know if you guys are, but if you're not, let us introduce you to it. If you are come help us beat this thing. Cause it's going to be tough. Probably. I don't know. It's the top rated. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be hard. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, it's rated number one for the best game and number one for the best story. According to escape authority. That sounds awesome. I love a good, I love one that really tells a story. So, so come with us. We're going to go. Uh, if you are, uh, if you're in the New York area or even like, you know, you're 50 miles from New York, we don't get up there ever. So come meet us. We should do one of these meetups in our area, by the way, sometime. <laughs> um, I'm going to be in Orlando in January. We should go uh, out in Tampa, see if we have any people that want to meet up there. We just thought New York would be neat because there's so many people in New York. We figured there's got to be some listeners up there, and we have already heard from some of you. So meet us. We're going to do an escape room, and if you're not into escape rooms or you uh, just want to come to the escape room and hang out after, we're going to get food and drink after somewhere at a local purveyor of such things. So. Come hang out with us Wednesday, New York City. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So uh, send us a message at mcucast at gmail.com and we'll be able to, or any of the social media stuff we do, um, and we'll be able to kind of like organize buying tickets to the escape room and all that stuff. So, Or just where to meet. Is there a good nerd? I, 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 there's got to be a good nerd bar in New York. Um, so far what I've found is there's a uh, there's a tabletop gaming club called Brooklyn Game Lab that has a new or newer location over in Tribeca. So we could, we could hit that up. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll look into, I feel, I feel like there's gotta be like, I mean, even Montgomery has like a cool nerd bar where it's just like, yeah, they have tabletop games, but it's also like, you know, geek themed and Marvel DC stuff everywhere. There's gotta be somewhere <laughs> we can be nerds and drink is what I'm saying. Uh, so yeah. come, come with us, be nerds and drink with us. Okay. Let's, we're, today is a feedback episode. We're going to run down some of the more recent feedbacks we've gotten in and try to discuss some of these things. So let's do this. All right. So our first feedback tidbit is, uh, is one that's feedback about us, about specifically something that you said. Uh, Josh Baying said on Twitter, Adam Sucast, Loki, God of Mischief, more like God of Falling Through Space, Thor 1, Bifrost, Ragnarok, when Doctor Strange sling ringed him, and when Hela kicked him out of the, bri- out of the Bifrost. Yes, and in of course in game when he falls through uh yet another portal. Uh so yeah, Loki that's amazing, Josh. Thank you for writing that in. <laughs> I did not think of the other two. But yeah, Loki's fallen all across all space. He's just space time, you know. He's space fallen. He be space. He is space space fallen. <laughs> Space fallen, yeah, he's space fallen. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got there somehow. Uh, the Andy Joe Show sent us an email and said, Hi, guys. The Russo said in an interview a few weeks ago that Thanos didn't destroy the stones. He just shrank them down significantly. So I think that they're somewhere in the quantum realm. Ant-Man 3 could be about that, finally making the Ant-Man series deal with significant events in the MCU. Yes, I know we're supposed to move on from the Infinity Stones, and some people do, but not us. <laughs> Thanks for the great podcast. 
and keep up the great work. I love you guys, 3000. We love you, 3000, Drew. Drew also sent us a thing that says um, he had to do some yard work, but he got a little distracted, and he has, he's in his flower bed drawing a big Avengers A, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. So thanks uh, for that. I love that. That's, I love that. Yeah, that's great. I really want to, now that makes me, whenever, uh, whenever I get my own home and, you know, say me and Alyssa continue on our current course and we get married and have a home and we're like planting a flower bed, I just want to like plant some flowers in an Avengers A that's like not noticeable until they mature. So like it'll be the long con, like two years later, you'll see this big Avengers A form. <laughs> <laughs> or like some bushes or something. I don't know. You've given me ideas, Drew. Thank you. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's it's the long con. The long con, man. Oh, man. So Brandon Epler sent us a Facebook message. Said, hey, guys, this is in regards to the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer. We talked a little bit in the last podcast. <laughs> we talked a little bit in the last podcast about how Iron Man's greatest weapon was his intelligence. Well, in the trailer, it talks about how we need to find the next Iron Man, someone to fill his shoes. You think they're referring to Peter Parker to do that? I just didn't know if it was that obvious. Peter Parker definitely has the intelligence, even though they haven't really shown that in the most recent Spider-Man films, in my opinion. Uh, the only thing is, he doesn't have the money for things like an Avengers base of operations. My buddy and I were talking about it, and we think it might be Black Panther that takes on Iron, or that takes Iron Man's place. Uh, I just wanted to hear your guys' opinion on it. Thanks for the for an amazing podcast, as always. Thank you, Brandon. Hmm, what do you think about the level of intelligence they've shown for Spider Man thus far? <laughs> I really think that that as far as intelligence for for Peter Parker, the, they did the best job of showing his intelligence in Captain America: Civil War, when um, when Iron Man or when Tony Stark was talking about the the fluid, the web fluid. Oh yeah, you know, they, do, they do talk about him designing his own fluid. That's a pretty big yeah. deal. They, like he was asking, you know, it's got the the tensile strength is off the charts, and like who who develops this for you? Who manufactures it? And he's like, I do. You know, it's my thing. So, like, that that goes to show you that at least Peter Parker is really, really intelligent as far as a material, uh, a materials engineer, um, and could and could definitely work with it in maybe, like, a chemical kind of way and as, as a chemist. But we've also got Dr. Strange as a medical genius. We've got Dr. Banner, who has seven PhDs. Uh, if you want to talk about, like, as far as, uh, as as machines and AI goes, you've got Shuri over in the Black Panther uh, space over in Wakanda, who is like far and away the best. Yeah, not to mention <laughs> energy, um, production, and uh, use for both weaponry and for all those like underground railways they've that she's helped them design and stuff. All that stuff's real cool. Um, they've got a lot of geniuses on their team. Yeah. Yeah, almost overloaded with genius, which I like. I like that our heroes are not dumb brutes anymore. They're all nerds in their own way. <laughs> but as for Brandon's question about uh, him being the next Iron Man and that weapon being his intelligence, I don't know that that's even really what they're getting at. I think that the Iron Man was the first person to come out as a superhero in the current time, in the current time anyway. And Iron Man has been a representative of these protectors of the earth. Um, the mightiest heroes, if you will. And I think that with his death, I, I think it's probably going to be well known that he's the one that undid the snap. Well, uh, he's not the one that undid the snap. He's the one that stopped Thanos and his death will probably be, you know, told about because he's Tony Stark and uh, he's probably going to be a martyr of sorts and his death will probably inspire others. It probably is partially what's inspiring um, Mysterio in this scenario. Uh, but I think they're, they're, they're just looking for a new hero. I think it's more about, more about the heroics and more about the symbol and maybe the leadership than it is necessarily his intelligence. You know, I love that you that you mentioned Mysterio as being somebody that he might inspire, because uh, that leads into the next bit of feedback that we have, actually. Oh, sweet. Uh, Juan Pibernus sent us a Facebook message that, is it too soon to share my Spider-Man Far From Home theory? No. Go for it. Anyway, here it goes. Uh, 
in the movie, we will find that Mysterio is Peter Parker from another universe. He is far from home. But here's my additional twist. He is the Peter Parker we meet with Miles Morales. We will learn that he didn't quite make it to his own universe, thus the cinematic Spider-Verse is born. Okay. So it could well be that he's... Okay, it could well be that he is inspired by Iron Man and wants to be the hero or whatever and, you know, is that bullshitter showman that we know that he is from the comics. But it could also be that he's just from another universe. And what if he is an older version of Peter Parker in a a different universe? I I like all that. That's an interesting theory and could be fun. I can totally see Jake Gyllenhaal as a grown-up Tom Holland, uh, partially because I have no memory for faces, uh, but (laughs) their faces look different. But, you know, they both got kind of angular features. Um, Okay. Here's the, the question I have is, but here is my additional twist. He is Peter Parker. We meet, he is the Peter Parker we meet with Miles Morales. We will learn that he didn't quite make it to his own universe. Uh, like as in the one from the Spider-Verse movies? I don't know what, I don't know what Juan is getting at there. I'm a little confused. I'm not sure either. Um, <laughs> okay. Gotcha. So maybe, yeah, basically that thing he's saying is that like the, he would be returning to a universe that would have a Miles Morales Spider-Man. And it would make sense that he would be the older Peter Parker because that's the one that would be connected to a Miles Morales. Yep. Okay. And so, uh, when they were originally starting the whole uh, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe like costumes and stories and everything were mostly based on the Ultimates comic universe. Yes. And the Ultimates comics universe is where Miles Morales got his start, and where Peter Parker did that whole like sacrificing himself in you know in the public eye against the sinister six and like that's what inspired everybody and caused miles morales to to stand to step up and be the next spider-man and everything so you know it it could be a thing yeah it's not a bad idea i i I like it and i i i don't know if they're gonna go there i definitely i like the theories about just mysterio being mysterio and being from another universe though i do really like that he's um possibly from another universe and bullshitting uh, bullshitting about being a hero, basically. Yeah, I think that's fun. And that's that's what I think is going to be the the you know the finale or like the the big twist or whatever is just that he is a, a bullshitter from a different universe. Man, I really hope so. I love that they're introducing so strongly the multiverse. It's super exciting. Yeah, but that's the thing. If what if? Oh man! What you got, what, Jeff? What you cooking up over there? What, what if Tony Stark from alternate universe that Mysterio comes from comes over chasing him at the end, like follows his signature or whatever, and comes to collect him? And Spider Man has already beaten him, but then he, like that Tony Stark doesn't know who Peter Parker is, and. Like you've got Peter Parker looking up at him with such awe and wonder and, you know, being so enthralled by him and he just has no clue who this kid is. Yeah. I, that could be fun. That could be fun. I, I still think if they're going to do that, if they're going to have someone come over from another universe to collect him, like you say, we've discussed this before, but I think it's all fantastic for all day. Yes. I yes. That, that's because I, th- I just don't think I don't think they're going to bring back Tony Stark anytime soon, even in alternate realities. Tony Stark. I think that if they're going to bring back Tony Stark, I think that Robert Downey Jr. is done at least for a few years. You know what I mean? I think they're just going to let it let it rest. You know, it'd be really cool is if we did get Fantastic Four like that. They come to collect him. And then, you know, years later when some big thing is happening and, you know, we we need uh, a, a gathering of great minds to try to solve it, they get a council of Starks together and, like, collect a bunch of Tony Starks from throughout the multiverse. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm, I would be down with that. Uh, like, have, going from no Stark to suddenly a council of Starks would be pretty amazing. Wouldn't it? Amazing. Anyway, good, good thoughts, Juan. I think that, uh, it's very, it, all, both of those, possible twists are very possible. Uh, and, uh, I don't, they're not where I'm leaning, but, uh, if they're right, we'll try to remember to give you all the props. 
make sure to write in again and be like, I told you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, we uh, we like to to boast about how much we called it. Uh, It's just fair that you guys also get to boast that much when you call it. Yeah. And a lot of times you guys call it, then we talk about it and then we just forget it wasn't our our idea. So (laughs) we claim it. You know, if you if you don't write in to say that it was your idea, then we're we're just going to claim it. It's ours. <laughs> That's good. Oh man, I was just looking at this. Spider Man Far From Home comes out in four weeks and two days. Yeah, that's insane. Right. <laughs> I'm really excited. Really, really excited. July, man. Yeah, we're in June. We're into June. It's crazy. Yep. Yep. My birthday is in two days. That's crazy. It is. Uh, Anyway, Adara Glader sent us an email. Said, My friends and I have a debate going about Captain Marvel. Me and one other friend think that Carol is way too OP, and that's a huge problem that needs to be resolved for the MCU in order for them to have Galactus or any other serious threat from the Kree or the Skrulls. My other friends say that because Carol is protecting the rest of the universe, she has to be this powerful. Thoughts? Also, why wouldn't Carol show up for either of the Guardians movies? I love your podcast so much. Keep up the amazing work. I don't know. What do you think, Jeff? Is she too OP? I mean, I don't know that she's too OP. She is definitely super OP, though. It's the same thing with Scarlet Witch. It's not that she's OP. It's that her powers are incredibly ill-defined, in my mind. Because Tony's got a suit. If you take the suit away, you know his weakness. You know, you take the suit away, he's no, he's just a billionaire philanthropist. You, 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 there's like, there's a limit to his power. Um, you, you look at Captain America, um, Captain America is, 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 although he can be, um, you know, very, very strong, he can't do things like fly. So there's just like certain, everyone needs sort of like boundaries on their powers. And as of yet, partially because she only got her powers basically at the very end of the movie. Um, we've just seen her fly through armies and destroy them. Um, I love seeing her fly through armies and destroy them, but it, if she's going to do that in all of her movies, we get, we're going to need some way to put her in danger or, or put people in danger that she can't get to easily. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to to put stakes and relatability on a on a character who is that completely overpowered. It was the same problem that Thor had is that you know Thor was so unrelatable and and so hard to actually put in danger because he's so invulnerable. But you know you you have to put for somebody like that, for some character like that, you either have to take their power away and force them to get it back a la Thor 1 or you have to put the stakes on there of someone they care about potentially getting hurt a la Thor 2. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at it, just to finish off the Avengers we were just talking about, I mean, Hawkeye and Black Widow obviously have their limits to their power. Hulk has seemingly limitless power, but the thing that made him inter- makes him interesting is, at least up until recently, um, is that he only accesses that power when he loses control. And so that's, yep. that's a way that he's not perfect. And basically every, every hero has to have a flaw. And so far, Carol Danvers does not have a flaw. Uh, for the counter argument on that, 084 wrote in and said, uh, that he kind of hates the idea of humbling Captain Marvel and taking her down a peg. Really? One female-led film, and we're already calling for something like that. We're that fragile? Question mark. And I, I get where he's coming from. Um, and I hope that there's no, um, you know, uh, misogyny when I say we need to bring her down a peg or whatever. I don't even necessarily she need, think she needs to be brought down a peg. I love that she's a very powerful hero. I just think that there's got to be a way to tell a story about her. And I mean, that's the, that's the job of the next, um, the next Captain Marvel movie. You know, how will they, how will they tell that story? And I'm sure they'll, they'll find an answer for that either by, as, as is said, bringing her down a peg or by creating a situation where her powers are not the be all and end all. She has to have some sort of struggle or it's not a story. Yeah. 
it's about the storytelling, not just not about bringing her down a peg as a like figure. I love that she's powerful. I love that she's strong. Yeah, I think that uh, the 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 thought of bringing her down a peg more pertains to uh, her main like the the only major flaw that we see with her is her overconfidence in her powers. Mm, I don't know if that they haven't, they definitely have not presented that as a flaw yet. Her, her main flaw in the first movie was that she did not have confidence in her powers. Well, yeah, but that presented or that kind of went over the top when in Avengers Endgame in the beginning, you know, Rhodey was like, you know, we're all about that superhero life. Everybody here is about that. But like, you know, we lost to Thanos before. What makes it different? Like, how do you think that, that, you know, we would do this any differently? And she said, you didn't have me. And like, while that may be true, that, that she is a huge part of that and she's incredibly powerful and would probably stand up to Thanos pretty well. We did see her, you know, make a really good fight, but excuse me, but that confidence is going to be her downfall. Maybe we'll see. I, I don't know if it will or not. And I think it's, it, that could be definitely an, uh, an interesting thing to explore with her next movie. If she does remain as powerful as she is, um, dealing with thinking you can solve everything. And then you've got a bit of a Superman problem where if he can solve everything, um, then what, what is he fighting? What's he, you know, what's the deal? And I think that's the thing. So OA4 mentions that it's because she's a female character, but it's not the first, it's not the first, uh, superhero movie. And we've had characters like her before. And that is, we've had Superman. Uh, Superman is, is the same kind of OP. And I've been calling for the same thing for years. Like you've got to have a re a way to give Superman a problem. So I don't think it's because she's female. I don't think it's because we're fragile. I think it's just, we want to be able to have good stories told. And if you don't, there are no built in problems with Captain Marvel. There's no, there's not even a kryptonite yet. Right. Right. Like Superman has kryptonite just kind of like installed into his mythos and, Captain Marvel doesn't. And I think that, that introducing Rogue the same way that they did in the comics is, you know, t- stealing her power and putting her into a coma. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a multi-year coma. It just has to be enough to, to make her like, you know, take her, get her to take a back, take a step back and, and be shocked that something can affect her yeah. and, and make her understand that she may not necessarily be able to solve everything just by punching it or, or even standing up and saying, I will punch you if you don't back down, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you know, and obviously there's a lot of gender politics built in around all of this and I don't want to bring her down a peg, but I also don't want to make her not a relatable character. Like I don't want her to be written as just a sword. Like she's just a weapon. I mean, Ronan calls her a weapon, but that's not all she is. She's a person. And, And as a character, we've had all these compelling male characters and part of them being compelling is having flaws and being real. Um, and that goes for all, every single one of these superheroes has major flaws, either in their personality, in their power set, in, in some way they have a flaw. And by kind of making her perfect, you're not doing sort of the feminist movement favors by making her a perfect hero because then she's just... She's just going to get tons of, uh, flack for being a Mary Sue or whatever. You know, you, you need, you need to give her issues and problems to work through, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Make her an alcoholic. Oh no, wait, that was done with Tony Stark and, uh, Jessica Jones and Jessica Jones. Yeah. So yeah, we've, we've already got the female alcoholic. <laughs> we've already got the token <laughs> female alcoholic. <laughs> Token female alcoholic. Wow. That's not something I've heard before, actually. Yeah, man. It's, it's in all things. It's the token. It's, it's a tokenism. Yeah. I mean, um, <sighs> maybe we should talk about what Travis Hawkins has to yeah, say. What does Travis Hawkins have to say? <laughs> he said, Hey guys, just found the podcast a couple of days before watching Endgame. Absolutely loving it. 
And Endgame, wow, just wow. Dare I say it, best cinematic experience ever? Uh, thoughts on a couple of things. You guys mentioned the WandaVision series multiple times and how you don't think we'll see Vision be brought back as his death was final due to not being a victim of the snapping. I'm curious, has anyone given thought to the idea that Vision could be brought back via Shuri and Wakanda? I feel like they can very easily bring Vision back using Shuri's work to separate the Mind Stone from Vision in Infinity War, assuming she was creating a digital backup while working on him like any intelligent person would, uh, and the technology they use to heal people like Everett K. Ross. Another thought regarding the idea that the Hail Hydra comment and Cap fighting Cap will create an alternate timeline, even though Steve brought back all of the stones. Uh, would Steve bringing the Mind Stone back to before either of those things happen not effectively not effectively snip the branched alternate timeline that was created and set the timeline back on its original course? Curious to hear your thoughts. Keep up the great work. Excelsior! Okay, couple things. It is absolutely possible they'll bring uh, Vision back. I just think we were, we've discussed whether they will. I think if they do, it sort of removes the stakes, but if they don't, it sort of wastes visions because I feel like vision never really got a good on screen do. Like I enjoyed him in Ultron. Uh, I enjoyed him in civil war and I enjoyed him in infinity war, but, uh, he never got his own thing. And I, and I do, I think it's actually pretty possible that they're going to set that WandaVision series. If it's a WandaVision series, if that wasn't all lies, then uh, we might get a WandaVision series set in the two-year period where they were meeting up a bunch. Yeah, yeah, we very well could. I, I would actually like to see that to, uh, to to get that story of them kind of sneaking around together. Sure, it would be uh, it would be pretty cute. Yeah, I think so too. And if they do get rid of, uh, or if they do bring him back to the current timeline, uh, it's very possible that Shuri would be the one to do it. Uh, it's absolutely possible uh, about the timeline issue. So it, it depends, depends on who you ask, because according to the writers, uh, yes, they can snip the snip the timeline. But according to the directors, no, they can't. So I'm going to go with my own interpretation of time travel, which is if you go back and change something, you are creating a new timeline. If if we're going with the multiverse theory, if you go back in time and change something, you are creating a new timeline. Which means if you go back from before it was ever removed and replace it, then you are actually creating a third timeline where that happened, not shifting back the single timeline back into coalescence. You actually create a timeline where for a moment there are two infinity stones. And what does that do? What are the repercussions? And I don't, you just, in my mind, the the multiverse theory is basically that every action you take every probability that exists could that could happen does happen and splits off the timelines and so i, I think that any small change creates a new timeline as boring as it is i think if you wake up and you pick a yellow shirt and you wear a yellow shirt one day but in another timeline you picked the blue shirt then you uh created a timeline even if nothing else changes ever where in that timeline you had a blue shirt on and then you had a yellow shirt on <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's every every decision creates a branch of uh, a different possibility you know you've got i mean even if it's just between a and b you know that's still two possible two possible things that could happen in a sequence of events you know yeah that's there's that line of thinking and then that line of thinking. Right. And so, so you think about it, you have A and B. So a lot of people are saying basically if you change the A and bring it back in line so that B is the same, so that the result is the same, then you're back in the same universe. Well, if you think about a universe as a timeline, A and B, but now you've replaced A with a totally different A, and now the cause is totally different that gets you to the effect that you want, even if you bring the timeline back to some semblance of close to the original timeline, you still have the first part of that timeline is different. It's still a different timeline, even if it's timelines diverge. And if you do something to bring them closer together, you're still... Uh, creating new timelines. Yeah. It's still a sequence of events that was different from what happened in B. Even though you get the same result as B, it's, it's still a different set of decisions that were made to get to B. 
Yeah, that's that's my interpretation of it anyway. I, you know, like like we said, the directors and the writers have different views on this. So, you know. <laughs> it's the thing about time travel. It's up for debate. Yep, it's up for debate. So, Jeff, I hear we got a sponsor this week. Yeah, we got one of our uh, one of our returning sponsors in HelloFresh. You mean the kind folks over at HelloFresh thought that our listeners, enough of them responded, were sweet enough to respond with these promo codes that they have decided to re-up for another week? Absolutely, sir. Well, I am very thankful to both HelloFresh and our listeners. Why don't we tell our listeners about our friends over at HelloFresh? Yeah, absolutely. For anybody who uh, who hasn't heard of HelloFresh, uh, they're a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients to your door so that you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. HelloFresh makes conquering the kitchen a reality with deliciously simple recipes full of fresh pre-measured ingredients and easy-to-follow six-step pictured recipe cards that are delivered to your door each week in a special insulated box. Uh, all meals come together in about 30 minutes max. They call for less than two pots and pans and require minimal cleanup. You can get out of whatever recipe rut you may be in and start cooking outside of your comfort zone by de- discovering new delicious recipes. You know, one of those delicious recipes outside of the comfort zone for me is this one that uh, that I had tried uh, that was called Korean beef bibimbap. And that mm. is, uh, you know, in the in the title, it's obviously Korean, but um, it involved shaving carrots and shaving cucumbers, something that I'm very just like not familiar with at all, but it turned out so unbelievably good. We kept going back to that recipe every time it came up on the, uh, on the, the, the cycle for us to get, we were like, Oh yes, that was real good. Let me get that again. Yeah. That's awesome. When you find those recipes that you like so much that you just have to have them every single time they're available. That's real cool. Um, yeah, I, I still am in love with that juicy Lucy burger. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've actually, uh, we've, <laughs> we've had the kids, repeatedly say, you know, we, we should probably just make Juicy Lucy burgers. I'm like, you guys don't even know what those are before HelloFresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, HelloFresh has been a really great service. You guys should all really try it. Um, and, you know, you, if it's just for being our listeners, they have been kind enough to offer a wonderful deal of $80 off your first month of HelloFresh. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash MCUcast80 and enter the promo code MCUcast80. That's HelloFresh.com slash MCUcast80 and enter MCUcast80 at the as a promo as a promo code for eighty dollars off your first month. HelloFresh, everybody, it's awesome. So let's see. Uh, next up, Matt Klein sent us an email. Said, "Hey, fellas, how would you like the MCU to introduce Deadpool?" I would be interested in seeing him brought in via a team-up movie, possibly Spider-Man 3, or just have a Deadpool 3 film. What are you guys' thoughts on bringing him in? Thanks. I think that Deadpool works best in his own films, just because his tone is so different. Um, but I, I would love to see him brought in, either through a... Uh, like. They can leave every other X-Man in the other universe, but if they were to do a quick, uh, hey, I'm Deadpool, I'm stepping out of a portal, and now I'm in the MCU, and then we just get a movie where he, like, does whatever his storyline needs him to do, but he just travels all around the MCU doing it, I would love that. If he just got to experience all the different corners of the MCU, we see him go off into space. We see him do, I want to see, I'd like to see a Deadpool three where he's just enters the new universe and does all kinds of things, you know? Oh man. What if at the beginning of Deadpool three, he's, he's still time hopping around like when he was at the, at the end of Deadpool two. Oh shit. At the end of Deadpool two, he hops into the, into the realm of possibility where Ryan Reynolds is is deciding on whether or not to do the um, the Green Lantern film and stops that. He could easily, with that, hop into the MCU verse. That is true. He has hopped universes, so I guess I guess his. <laughs> 
precedent is set. <laughs> he jumps into the MCU, brings Vanessa with him, brings the old lady, uh, brings TJ Miller's character, brings uh, Whistler. Is that TJ Miller's character? Weasel. 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 Brings all the characters over and then, you know, starts, settles down with the Vanessa from uh, the MCU timeline in like a nice little thruple uh, with the other. <laughs> I feel like Vanessa would be down for that, you know? Yeah, probably. She seems down. She seems down. Well, the Vanessa from the Deadpool universe would be down. I'm not sure if, if she got raised differently in the MCU. Yeah, it's true. She could have totally different uh, morals. All right, let's move on. <laughs> okay, so Cameron Webb sent us an email. Says, Matt and Jeff, your podcast rocks and has gotten me through the last three summers of work keeping my mind engaged without having school to go to. I thought of a theory for Far From Home, which I haven't heard or seen anywhere else. We've all been wondering why uh, all of the decathletes were still <laughs> the same age. Uh, what if they aren't? What if Flash or someone didn't get snapped and is back at the school doing his, his practicum as a college student teacher, but still hasn't matured, so still makes fun of all the kids that used to be his age? This also adds to why he likes Spider-Man better than Iron Man, as he was there for five years when Tony didn't help with the world uh, in the slightest. What if the trailers just left out the aging process to throw us for another loop, especially the first trailer before Endgame? I don't know that this is the way they will go, but how cool would that be? Excelsior, Cam. I like that. Um I, I definitely think, I think they have to address it. Like there's no way they're not going to address the five year time jump. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure they will. I don't know how yet. And it is very possible. They've lied to us in the trailers. I I'm fully sure that Marvel's not above that. Uh, the thing that I would push back on here a little bit, we don't know that Tony, I don't, I do think that Tony Stark helped during the five years. I mean, he, he kind of has to, right? Yeah. He's still a superhero. He's still, like, I think that he probably spent the, like, yeah, he wasn't part of that council that we see. Um, and maybe he had kind of settled down a little bit. He's getting a little older. Maybe he's not actively superheroing, but like, surely he's like helping the world's power grid, helping, I, I do, I would have liked to seen that a little bit in game and maybe we'll see a little bit of it in Spider-Man when we find out about his legacy. You know, what did he do in that five years? I, I don't think that he just sat around like, sure, that's all we saw, but I, I think there's gotta be more to it. I mean, he was working on a uh, a suit for Pepper the entire time as well. Oh, well the rescue sure. suit. Surely that didn't take five years, though, as fast as he pumps <laughs> those suits out. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's just one of the many things he was working on, is all I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. All right, so next up, Jim Bowman sent us an email. Hi, longtime listener, first-time writer. <laughs> Uh, thank you guys for the great podcast. Mowing my yard and your podcast are almost perfectly timed things. So now I actually look forward to that mundane event. <laughs> mowing, the yard. mowing the yard is mundane, not your podcast. Mm. I love how deep you go into the nitty gritty of the MCU. And if there's one thing we've learned, the MCU gives us plenty of nitty gritty. I know you prefer folks to keep it short. Let's see if I can. One thing that has confused me since the release of Spider-Man Far From Home trailers is the crazy excitement at the multiple universe idea being possibly confirmed. Yeah, it's Mysterios. Yeah, he's untrustworthy. But what confuses me is this. The multiple universe idea was already explicitly announced and explained in Doctor Strange. It seems like the Ancient One is usually the one sharing information about multiple universes, multiple timelines, divergent timelines, and all that. But she didn't drop that on us in Avengers Endgame. She dropped that on us back in Doctor Strange. You may recall early in the movie, Strange being whisked around various realities and having it all explained to him in a nutshell. That nutshell essentially being all realities exist. I remember giving a little internal cheer when I watched that movie and the idea of multiple realities was explained because I knew that I knew then what that meant what that meant for the MCU. I just didn't realize until Endgame how much of an impact it would actually have. And now with Disney's acquisition of Fox Marvel properties like X-Men and Fantastic Four, it only makes sense that they would really hit this idea hard now. Because like so many others, the hardest thing to wrap my head around is how you take such beloved characters who didn't exist before and plop them into a well-established universe, which up until then had never breathed a word of them. Boom, multiple realities. Multiple universe, it's a cheat. It's a huge one, but an obviously necessary one. 
I feel like I was the only one who seemed to be a fan of the idea of Fox and Disney working together in this last phase, with the culmination of Dark Phoenix and Endgame basically doing the same thing, shattering realities and bringing them together. I thought it, it would have been mightily clever if some big explosive ending in Dark Phoenix and big explosive ending in Endgame were to occur at the same time in different universes and essentially rip a hole between the two realities and bring the two together. Alas, my idea was pretty soundly hated in places like Reddit, whose respondents seemed totally averse to the idea of bringing any of the Fox ideas or actors over to the MCU. They clearly want a clean slate, and I mostly don't blame them. The Fox X-Men movies have been very hit or miss, with some really great movies like like X-Men 2 and Days of Future Past, and some stinkers like uh, Wolverine Origins and Apocalypse. But given that Fox has already done all the heavy lifting with these characters, and honestly, I feel like we need to tip our caps to them a little more than we do for doing what Feige and Disney did later to far more fanfare much earlier in the game. They really did establish an X-Men universe, and it mostly worked. I guess I just wonder what your take is on this. Would you have been bummed to find that Fox and Disney worked together in this last phase of what I'll call Volume 1 to form a bridge uh, between property handovers, I know you like canon, and I just felt like this period, this opportunity, could have brought the two canons together in a cool way. Let's uh, let's let's stop there and comment on some of that because he goes on for a little while longer. So, and that's kind of one topic. Uh, as for X Men entering the MCU, I don't mean to be a redditor, uh, but I am with most of those people on Reddit, and it's not that. I wouldn't be interested to see them cross it over. It's just that I don't, you mentioned they've already done the heavy lifting. I don't think they did. I'm not saying it was bad for the time. The X-Men movies were awesome. And actually you mentioned uh, how Fox owes some credit for what they did before Kevin Feige and Disney did it, but actually Kevin Feige worked on those original X-Men movies. He was the produce. He was one of the producers of those original X-Men movies. He's one of the people that he was pushing for the idea of the MCU before it was ever a thing. And he, he was, he was instrumental in getting those first X-Men movies made if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he's been doing this for a very long time. It's just the MCU is finally the culmination of that vision that he's been trying to get on screen for so long. Um, so Feige, Feige, uh, Disney is definitely new to the, new to the scene, but Feige actually deserves credit going way back. Um, so Kevin Feige owes nothing to anyone except for himself. <laughs> I mean, obviously he owes a lot to those that came before, but he has owed a lot of credit for these movies. Um, I just mostly think they didn't do the heavy lifting with the characters. They did an, they did a very cool thing in, they did the, the, the first X-Men movie when it came out was something we'd never seen before. It was totally new and it, and it, it broke onto the scene in a way that like that and the Spider-Man uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man came out around the same year and they were like, oh my gosh, we finally reached a technological point where we can tell these stories in such a cool way. The MCU is just the next evolution of that. And I have found that these Fox properties have not evolved with the, 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 the storytelling. Uh, they have not evolved with the MCU, with the exception of Logan. Yeah. I think that uh, I think that the the same could be said for the Sony stuff, you know, with with them just kind of haphazardly throwing Venom out there to just be a, a cash grab or whatever. Just I think that that was arbitrarily slapped together with with no real reason behind it, uh, other than to just like put the name out there, like oh we've got Venom, and really didn't fit, you know, as it didn't fit coming from comics to, to movie. It just didn't make sense for, for that kind of character to be there yet, you know? Sure. And it's kind of, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to, to translate that sort of story where, you know, Spider-Man goes to space for a secret wars kind of thing and then comes back with a symbiote. Like that's, that's hard to do, but I think something better was was done in uh, in the Spider-Man animated series where 
you know, it was J. Jonah Jameson's son who went to space and brought back the the Venom symbiote. Right. I was yeah yeah they they definitely could have done it a different way, um, but the the bottom line is they just wanted to make a Venom movie because they thought it was a cash grab. And I mean, in, in in I don't even necessarily say cash grab as a huge negative. I hate to say that. That sounds awful. But all of these movies are meant to make money. Uh, it's just a matter of. Are you servicing the fans in a way that is going to lead to you being able to continue to make money, or are you squandering uh, the sort of brand equity that these movies and these characters provide? You know. Yeah. You the the thing with the with Venom is that, and the thing that I, I continuously say about Venom is that they did not earn the right to have Venom yet. I hear you, but at the same time. I got to call you out. You haven't seen Venom, right? I have seen enough, sir. Have you seen Venom? Have you watched the movie? I have not sat down and watched Venom all the way through. I refuse to. Okay. I just know too much about it. I'm too close to it. I refuse to be totally down on Venom until I watch it. And I, and it's, it's, it's sad that I haven't yet. I really, I really feel kind of bad about it because I, I do love this stuff. And, it just didn't feel, obviously it didn't feel connected. And so, um, I have ignored it and I would, I would like to see it. I actually had friends tell me how good it was. Friends that are not nerds at all who do not care about this stuff. Um, but I mean, obviously we do the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm a huge fan of connected universes and they did not connect it. And that was a bummer for me. Yeah, and that's why I've not been uh, motivated to see it. But I don't want to get too down on it because who knows? It could be great, and uh, I haven't really heard many people say bad things about the actual movie. I've just heard a lot of people say the same things you're saying, which is, and I hate that because we that means we didn't give it a chance. Um, I hate to be so down on it. When we didn't give it a chance, because it, it could be a good movie, it could be a good standalone movie, and who knows? Marvel may not have plans for Venom, like you said. If if they do the Spider-Man, if they actually did the Spider-Man story the way it is in comics, and they have Secret Wars, and he goes off and has to come back, if they actually do that, it could be five more years before they present us with a MCU Venom. You know what I mean? And so, like, is it so wrong of Sony to say? You know what? In the meantime, you guys are going to have your Venom eventually, but you're not wanting to use Venom yet, so we're going to make this sort of weird, dark, anti-hero story. I'm obviously... Yes. <laughs> it is wrong. I don't think it's wrong. Obviously, they miscal. I think they miscalculated, because I don't... Actually, I don't know. I don't know how well that movie did. Um, I think a lot of fans didn't go, because it's not connected. Yeah, I think that they lost a lot of potential money from it not being connected. And I think that if they had waited and let that story evolve naturally and and earn it, it probably would have done a lot better. Possibly. They they might have wanted to have in a movie and they've been pitching it, but maybe the MCU guys were like, no, we're not ready. And they're like, well, we have this IP. We might as well use it to make some money because they're, I, I do think that Marvel is probably boxing them out a little bit, you know, it looks like it made $855 million, which is not bad. That's almost a billion dollars. Uh, and for a standalone Sony film, that's not in the MCU. That ain't bad. They, they're probably going to make a Venom too. Yeah. I don't want them to, uh, there's been, there's been news articles recently that, uh, that are saying that, you know, uh, Sony wants, Venom, like the Tom Hardy Venom, to be in uh, Spider-Man Three, or you know, the third one of the MCU Spider-Man. Like they just want to shoehorn him in, and um, I don't know that I necessarily like that. Yeah, I hear you. I, I don't know. Who knows? Like, if they, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just not going to get totally down on it because I haven't seen the movie. It could be a really fun, great movie. I've heard that from some people. Um, and if it is, and if it doesn't actually conflict with the MCU, I don't really mind them having just a different origin story for Venom. You know what I mean? It's a different universe. 
If it's different from the comics, we just said we're okay with it being different. What if this is just how they bring it in? What if they made a movie, uh, and we didn't go see it cause we were, you know, not driven to cause it's not connected, but what if it's great? And what if they created the character of Venom in a cool way and, you know, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening to this who did see it and are like, they're either one of two ways of going either. <laughs> I can't believe you guys didn't just didn't go see it. You're assholes. Or they're going, no, I did see it and it was bad and it's good. Please, <laughs> please don't include it. <laughs> like, please, Matt, stop. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. You don't understand. I think either way, this isn't very interesting because neither of us have seen it. We should watch it and see what it's like. Yeah, we should do an episode about it. Okay, I'm down. Uh, it's out on video and stuff now, so we can do that and not even have to go to the movies. Not have to pay <laughs> for a movie. Let's do it. Okay, so we we had just a big roundabout discussion just now in the middle of Jim Bowman's email. Yeah, well, I, he, he wrote for... Um, Oh, uh, thank you for writing in, Jim. I'm in no way criticizing, but it was about two pages of writing. I didn't want. To, I felt like if we didn't talk about the issues he had just brought up, then we were gonna end up losing the thread. Um, so I think he kind of changes topics here. So all right, let's move yep, on, yep. Jim. But what else did Jim Bowman have to say? He, he immediately followed that with, "All right, nope, I've already gone too long, but I have one more question. Where is Wonder Man?" He's one of the Avengers who hasn't even been rumored or hinted at, but was a pretty major member in the comics. And his story is so perfect for the big screen. A popular A-list Hollywood actor with an ego and superpowers to match. This character would be the perfect foil to all the goody-goody two-shoes types we've had. Yes, Tony has screwed up a few things along the way, but always in an effort to protect and serve. It would be kind of refreshing to see a character who is kind of more in it for himself. Uh, we could use more nuance amongst heroes, I think. And clearly Marvel slash Disney can handle this. We've now seen how, or I'm sorry, we've now seen impotent Hulk, depressed Thor, unhinged Hawkeye, uh, along with She-Hulk, who is probably a more complicated character to work in because of Universal. Wonder Man is one of the Avengers who probably needs to show up eventually, yeah? And what a great character to bring. Just imagine casting that role. Anyway, that's my take. What do you think? Thanks again for the great podcast. You have great discussions that I have come to very much look forward to, JB. Uh, isn't that the character that was technically in Guardians of the Galaxy 2? <laughs> so there was a film festival in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 for Simon Williams films. Simon Williams was played by, or at least shown uh, on uh, on movie posters, to be played by Nathan Fillion. And I think Nathan Fillion would be perfect for that character. I totally agree that Nathan Fillion would be perfect for that character. Big Firefly fan here. Um, and, yeah, so they've alluded to him in a very small way that I don't even know if it made it into the movie anywhere. Did it? Do we know? Uh, not that I've, not that I've seen. I think it might've been in a, uh, in a separate thing. It was on uh, set and I don't know if it ever, I, I think that shot, those shots may have never made it into the, uh, into the movie. The, the parts, the set that they had done were so, they were earth based and like the, the few things that were, that were shown to be on earth in the, um, in the, in the movie were just blown past there's no way that you could have caught that it was even there right so so it probably was never actually shown in the movie but yes apparently they did have one uh simon williams or wonder man as an actor in those in the movie in the background and i think i do think that uh nathan fillion would be perfect for that role what's really funny about it is that one of the films that was at that that uh film festival was a biopic of tony stark Played by Simon Williams. Yes. Uh, and I think here's the thing about um, though Wonder Man. The reason we haven't seen it yet is because it's too meta for what they're doing right now. It's not too meta for our current uh, storytelling and our current industry, movie industry. Meta is very popular. But I think they're, this first phase, these first three phases, they have been telling a very trying to be as real and as grounded as possible. And I think the idea of Simon Williams is kind of meta. It's like, Hey, we're an actors. I'm an actor playing an actor, playing a superhero who's only, it's very meta. And I think that it's very possible to bring him in soon, but I think they wanted to establish the world. You have to establish the world before you start kind of giving 
parody versions of your heroes, if that makes sense. I don't know. At least that's how Wonder Man feels to me. Wonder Man feels like I'm a I'm an actor playing a hero. And honestly, we're getting Mysterio, this Spider-Man, and that seems like it might be sort of a similar story. Uh, yeah, I mean, it could be. But Mysterio is more like he's if we assume that he's, you know, playing at being a hero, if he's fibbing about being a hero, then, you know, he's fibbing at being a hero and gets caught and then goes to jail, you know, continues to be bad guy. But with Simon Williams, it's that he's an actor and, you know, kind of like he could be, he could be just bullshitting about the whole thing, but he does eventually come around to being a hero. Right. Yeah. And I wouldn't be too surprised if Mysterio ends up in a similar way. Like, I don't know. We, we, I doubt it for a future. I think he'll still be a, uh, villain probably, but I don't know. Uh, maybe he'll learn his lesson or maybe I think he'll be more complex. Even tombs, um, in this first Spider-Man movie seems to have not learned his lesson. He's still a bad guy, but he's not wanting to hurt Peter Parker at the end. You know what I mean? He's still got some humanity. He's still, um, a complicated character. And so who knows what they'll do with Mysterio. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I trust Marvel, so you know I'm gonna leave it at that. I trust Feige, and he's gonna he's gonna take it in a good direction. I sure hope so. <laughs> Let's get his last feedback. Tim Brown. Tim Brown says, "I think it would be kind of cool if mutants were already around, but in too small a number to really cause huge attention, and also the fact that most people did not have their mutant genes activated." Quote unquote. Uh, then after the energy of three snaps that activates other people's dormant mutant genes, like perhaps the Mind Stone activated Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch's genes, and thus because this energy is all now out there, more mutant genes can get activated, especially when one hits puberty. That said, this allows for past stories uh, of the occasional mutant to pop up in flashbacks and backstories. Like Wolverine could totally have been around before, you know, doing his thing. And this allows there to be small populations in the past, but you can make it as big as you want in the future. And thus, the response for the government or other people in the world would reflect this growing population of people. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, we talk about how they've never talked about the mutants. And it would be very possible even to have a Professor X and a school for gifted mutants and all that stuff if uh, they're just were in, you know, a very small number and they'd never really they're not making big news and maybe they're maybe their their powers are only really rumored about. I do think that they probably would have been mentioned in the uh, in Project Insight, though. Absolutely. That's the yeah. one place where we know that, you know, they're they're at least not a public-facing hero group yet. Yeah, I think it would have been really cool if one of the targets that showed up on the on the list, like once it was compiling the list of targets, I think one of the one of the targets that would have been cool to see is Charles Xavier. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. They just didn't have the rights yet. I really do like what Tim says here about. Um, the idea that if if the snaps we we've talked a lot about the snaps possibly bringing mutants about everybody has theories about that right now but i think this may be the best one i've heard the fact that if the mind stones energy was used not just to create those two mutants or the miracles as they were called at the time but it was it was actually activating their mutant genes um, that really makes a lot of sense to me because if that same energy was used to activate the mutant gene, uh, then in Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, then it would make a lot of sense that that the three snaps, that massive surge of energy could create create a lot more mutants or activate a lot more genes. Yeah, almost like a bomb. Yeah, like a terrigen bomb. No. Um, <laughs> but, I'm so glad you picked my reference up. Oh yeah, for sure, but. You know, and, and I just think that, uh, that, that, that connection is the only real piece of evidence I've seen for the idea that the snaps could cause some, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It would be, uh, it would be really cool, actually, for them to, for, for Wanda to talk about her past and how, like, all these other people went through these experiments that she, you know, that she went through, that she underwent. And, 
all of those other people were like blown to bits or, or, you know, shriveled into nothingness or just died in some way, in some horrible way. Um, but that she and her brother somehow had the, the magical gene that, you know, was just activated by this power. Yeah. And then, you know, they gained their, their superpowers. Yeah. It would make a lot of sense that they were the only two that were able to stick with it because of their X gene. So yeah, I love that theory, Tim. Good, good call. Well, guys, we are the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Hopefully we'll see some of you guys in New York on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to be again doing a meetup. So, uh, email us if you want to join us for the meetup, even if you just want to join us for some drinks or some food or whatever. I just think it'd be fun. Uh, we know a couple of you already are and it's going to be exciting just to meet some folks and to chill out in New York City because I've only done that a couple times and I'm excited to do it again. Uh, so hit us up at mcucast.com, at mcucast on Twitter, facebook.com slash mcucast, mcucast at gmail.com or call us at 573-CAST-MCU uh, to leave us a voicemail. And if you'd like to hear more from me, I have the Star Trek Universe podcast as well as the um, Orville Universe podcast or you can find my music Everywhere you get music, just search for Matthew Carroll. Got an album on there. Proud of it. Check it out. Peace. Until next time, true believers. Mm-hmm.